Welcome, everyone, to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, episode 137, the three-year anniversary of this podcast. And I'd like to say thank you very much to all the listeners who have been listening and supporting this show, whether it be from the beginning, if you started listening a couple of months ago, or this could be your very first episode. Thank you very much to everyone who has been supporting this show. Without you, the listeners, there would be no Derek Diamond Experience podcast. And to celebrate the three-year anniversary of the show, I have a very different and unique type of episode that I've ever done before. My guest today is Dr. Rachel Coert. She studies the personal social impacts that video games have on kids, specifically online gaming. And she's written a really good book about the subject called A Parent's Guide to Video Games. And we delve into all aspects of this book and what it covers uh, the myths of video game addiction causing kids to become violent. Uh, we mentioned the Columbine shootings and other incidents that have happened that kind of link people to think, well, it's video games that have caused kids to become violent or exposure to violent games. We talk about the impact of cognitive development, uh, physical and mental health, social outcomes, positive learning, which is a good thing. And we do delve into um, one of the biggest negatives, in my opinion, about online gaming, and that is sexism geared towards female gamers, because there's many more female gamers today than there were 20 years ago. And sometimes they become the target of insults, whether it be you know people who are just trolling or if they have some type of resentment towards women. Uh, we talk about that and so much more about this book. I highly recommend you check it out. It's available on Amazon. It's called A Parent's Guide to Video Games. But before we get into the conversation with Dr. Coert, let me tell you about our proud sponsor, Audible. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com nerdcave. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Rachel Coert. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Sitting here with my very special guest this week, Dr. Rachel Coert. Rachel, how are you tonight? I am great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. As we were saying before we started, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a, a different type of episode that I'm used to doing. So I, I'm really excited. Um, first of all, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to do this, and thank you for uh, uh, you know allowing the opportunity to really you know educate people about uh, about some online gaming. Yeah, of course. I'm really excited to talk about it. So I wanted to start off by asking you a little bit about yourself. Like, where are you from originally? I am a Texas girl, born and raised. <laughs> I'm currently in Austin, um, but I've kind of lived all over the place. Nice, nice. Yeah, I I went to Texas for the first time back in November. I'm I'm born and raised in Florida, so wasn't wasn't too different than what I was expecting. But yeah. I I liked it. I, I went to Houston and I I loved it. Oh, equally humid to Florida, Houston. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, one thing I, I wanted to ask you about, um, as I was reading your bio, um, you actually you got a, B, a bachelor's degree in psychology, and it said that you always had an interest in psychotherapy. 
Yes. <laughs> what was it that sparked that interest? Um, you know, I'm not really sure. I think that humans are naturally interested in why we do what we do and why we think what we think. And I thought that, you know, psychotherapy training would really kind of get to the heart of understanding, you know, why why we are how we are. Um, I didn't end up pursuing that as a career. I did get a master's in counseling psychology, so I did get some of that um, formal training and kind of therapy and, and that sort of thing. And I really do think it opened my eyes a lot and really directed my research that I do now as really focusing on conducting research that's applicable to everyday lives. You know, how will my doing this research impact somebody else's life directly? Was there a specific thing that made you want to pursue more of like a research-based uh, profession? Yeah, actually, the first day of my master's program, so I always want to do psychotherapy. I was real excited. I'm going to be a therapist. This is great. First day, I was like, I do not want to do this. I do not want to be a therapist. I don't know what it was, but I remember very clearly having the thought and thinking, but this is really going to teach me a lot and going to inform me about doing a research career, and I want to be the one who does the research for the people who are doing the therapy. I'm not sure what it was. Maybe something scared me on that first day, but <laughs> I remember very clearly being like, oh, no, <laughs> I made the wrong decision. But uh, it turns out you made the right one. I did. In the end, that's correct. No, absolutely, and that's, that's what matters. <laughs> so reading your bio still about, um, about video games, were you a gamer growing up? Yes, I was always player two. I have an older brother, <laughs> so he kind of paved the way. I was a big Final Fantasy fan, a big Mario Brothers fan, um, Zelda. My whole life, I just remember it being kind of the thing I would do at home with my brother. We could do a whole separate podcast on Zelda. I'm, <laughs> oh, I, just got, I just got the new one, Breath of the Wild, for the Switch. Oh, it, nice. It's awesome. Absolutely oh, so awesome. Jealous. <laughs> So did you think maybe that um, that growing up playing video games, you think that kind of helped spark the interest in doing research on online gaming and how it affects others? Um, I think, well, it, it must have at least some because it exposed me to kind of gamer culture in the world of video games when in my generation there weren't that many girls playing video games, for sure, not like there are now. Um, but my real interest in pursuing a research in this direction happened during my master's program. You have to do a clinical internship, you know, where you're doing therapy. And a lot of parents were coming in, this was 2005, 2006, saying my child is playing World of Warcraft, right? That was at the height of its popularity. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of concern, you know, they're playing long hours. I feel like it might be bad for them. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Now, at the time, I was playing tons of World of Warcraft. So when I'm sitting across from these parents, I'm thinking, "Oh my goodness! Like, is my World of Warcraft playing like somehow doing something bad to me?" Um, and at the time, there was this field did not exist. There was no research. I had nothing to tell them. And I thought, okay, I should look into this. This is the kind of research that needs to be done because it's clearly something of concern, and nobody has the answer. Oh, for sure. And it's. I think especially now compared to back in like the 80s or even the 90s, even early 2000s, the gaming industry has just exploded. You know, it's yeah. a it's a billion dollar industry compared to you know what we call back in the day. It makes me sound like an old man saying that. 
You know, it's true though. When you'd go to arcades, or you just had, you know, the NES, Super mm-hmm. Nintendo, and now it's people play PlayStation, they play Xbox, they play online, they play on the computer. Uh, it's so so much more broad, and it, going through that is is kind of this. I don't want. I want to say um, stereotypical. But it's also kind of an assumption, I think, that those who play video games are socially challenged, if you yes. will. Yes, <laughs> that is definitely, and that was actually the heart of my PhD thesis, about the social aspect. And I think that's really specific also to online games. I think when online games started becoming accessible on your computer, now on your phone, and smartwatches have games, apparently, I was told. <laughs> um, parents really started being like, oh, but now they're interacting with other people who must also be socially awkward, so this must be compounding the problem, and now we really have a problem. Um, so, yeah, definitely. Uh, to me, though, I, I think if you take a, I don't want to say socially challenged, but someone who may not be as sociable, and you pair them with someone, they could be from the other side of the country, like one could be in Washington State, the other in South Florida, and they're communicating with each other you know, online. So in a way, I think of it as it's kind of helping their social awkwardness by even talking to someone, which is better than nothing. Right. Well, there's two lines of thought. There's that one, um, which is definitely talked about a lot in the literature, people who are socially anxious or shy or in a small town in Alaska who don't have a lot of access to people with similar interests. And those kind of scenarios, the argument is this is great because it's, you can access people anytime, any place, anywhere you can do something fun together, um, which helps promote relationships and everything is, is great. And then there's the other argument, which is yes, they're interacting with people, but they're interacting through a mediated context. They're not interacting face to face. They're not practicing reading nonverbal communication. And over time, this may have a detrimental effect. So it really kind of depends. There's like equal amounts of research in both pools. And it's just really about the perspective that you take. Yeah, I, I agree with that. There are two sides to that argument. And I think those who, you know, may start initially being more sociable online, it, in theory, it should give them the confidence to go out and interact with people face to face because gamers in my opinion you know the online portion is such a not just because of technology but also the convenience like i Uh might i may have friends who live like 10 miles from me that i could see see pretty easily but we just play online because of the convenience Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and in theory that's exactly true in the sense that you can interact you can practice Different skills if you're, again, like the socially anxious person. If you're talking to your friends you already know, now you just have a new place to hang out and have experiences. Um, And I think that's also something that gets overlooked a lot from parents especially is that a lot of people play with people they know, right? So it's not all about I'm playing with this stranger in another country who may be a bad influence. You know, I'm playing with my friends who are 10 miles away. No, absolutely. I, I can remember when Halo first became a thing, you know, when Halo 2 and Halo 3, oh, yeah. <laughs> with, the, with the Xbox 360, we would get a group of friends together. We would have like four or five of us in the same room, but we would be playing against a team that we didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I think having that that balance, you know, having the real life friends that you can get together with, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, 
I think that's a nice balance to the the online gaming. Uh, I don't want to call it fiasco, but I guess the <laughs> the the subject, if yeah. you will. Yes, and it's you know nothing occurs in isolation. Nobody is playing online games 100% of the day and never interacting with anyone else. It just doesn't happen. Even if they don't have many friends, they have teachers or they have family members or they have whatnot. So in the end, it's it's I feel like it's often perceived as like oh they're playing online games and it's the only thing they're doing and they're not interacting with other people and that's just not ever the case. No, I totally agree. Now, continuing the subject about video games, you've written a couple of books. I have written a couple of books. As I'm, I'm looking at the titles now, Video Games and Social Competence, The Video Game Debate, and one which I've read and I've enjoyed immensely, A Parent's Guide to Video Games. Yes, yay, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Now, it was it was really informative, and I, I think the the thing that I liked about it the most is that you made the information easily digestible. You know, you had the chapter itself, and then you had a note to parents, and then kind of a a chapter summary, which mm-hmm. I thought was I think is really crucial in explaining material, especially in a print form, is kind of bringing it back to square one and giving just okay, this is what you need to take away from this chapter or this book. Now, what was it that made you, I know you were doing research on online gaming, what made you decide to write these various books? Well, when I did my master's, as I was talking earlier, and these parents were coming to me, and I thought, parents need this information, they're concerned. Um, There is no information. (laughs) So fast forward to 10 years later, um, and I was doing a postdoc at the University of Münster, and I thought, oh man, now we have 10 years of this information. We should take this information and make it into the book that parents want. And that was where the video game debate book was born, um, which is an edited volume. It's a far more scientific book that talks about different video game effects. And when that was published in early 2016, I remember being like, yes, parents finally have the book they want. But, you know, parents (laughs) don't want to read a 300 page science book. They definitely do not have time for that. Um, So I went back to the drawing board and that's when a parent's guide to video games was born. I thought exactly what you said. How do I make it digestible? How do I make it where people can just look and see what is the conclusion? I don't want to know about the 75 studies that looked at aggression and violent video games. I want to know what we can determine from these 75 studies. Um, So that's where this book came from. And I, I think it's really great, not just for parents, but for gamers, for anyone who's interested in the science of video game effects. And they just want to be able to pick it up and see where we are in the research field and put it down and walk away. Absolutely. And, you know, you introduced the book by kind of giving uh, some numbers on how big the video game industry has become. Um, 115 million Americans play video games, and that's almost 40 percent of the population of the U.S. That's that's insane. Yeah. I mean, even my mom plays video games. I mean, that's Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, Bejeweled, that's a video game, or (laughs) um, casual games do constitute a lot of of that population, but you think, think about in the 80s, I'm not sure how old you are, were you alive in the 80s? (laughs) I I was born in 86. Okay, so when Mario, Mario 3 came out, whatever, early 90s, our parents were not playing it, definitely not, so, I mean, games have exploded, they're including markets that... Definitely were not in the arcades in the 70s, and now, yeah, 40% of the population, they have them on their phones, they have them on their tablets. My 
my two-year-old definitely plays games sometimes, so it's nuts. And, and there's so many varieties of, of video games. There's the console games, there's computer, there's even mobile games. You know, mobile gaming is huge, too. I, I'm, I personally don't play a ton of mobile games, though I, I have been known to stay up late and play Mario Run every <laughs> now and then. But, you know, people, people love mobile games. Even the games on Facebook, those yes. constitute as, as games to me. Definitely. I mean, people love, you know, we have busy lives to be able to pick something up and put it down. Um, we don't all have the dedication for Final Fantasy. Not like me. <laughs> Everyone's not like me with their Final Fantasy obsession. Some people just <laughs> want to pick up a game for five minutes and walk away, you know? Before we continue this fantastic conversation with Dr. Rachel Coart, I have to remind you that for you, the listeners of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And they have a ton of books to choose from. As I mentioned at the top of the show, they have over 180,000. That's like four lifetimes worth of books. They have autobiographies. I recently listened to Chris Jericho's latest book, Best in the World at What I Have No Idea. They have series like Star Wars. I'm currently listening to Star Wars Bloodline, which is a really good book. Uh, the cool thing about Star Wars is that they not only have someone reading the book, but you can hear the music and the sound effects from the movies. So you really feel like you're immersed in the Star Wars universe. You feel like you're a part of it. And I think that's really cool that they put that type of production behind it. And for you gamers, they have gaming books as well. They have Halo, Gears of War, Mass Effect, uh, so many more. I highly recommend checking out Audible. If you're always on the go like I am, Audible is a great, easy way to be able to continue to read, even if you're not physically reading a book. And to do that, just go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook download today. I thought the the beginning of the book, you know, kind of talking about video game addiction mm-hmm. and how it might cause kids to become more violent, or at least that's kind of a, a fear or concern of parents. And, you know, the reading the book, the first thing I thought of was the Columbine shooting from back in the day and other um, acts of violence that have happened at schools or other public places. A lot of people will point to video games saying, oh, the the video game made my kid that way. So this is a, yeah, this is, um, there's like a short answer and a long answer. The short answer here is everybody wants something to blame, obviously, of course, when something horrible happens. Mm-hmm. But in terms of video games having a direct influence on somebody's propensity to commit a violent crime, the research does not in any way support that claim. Um, there are a lot of studies that have found small, slight increases in aggression following direct exposure to violent video games. And all that means is someone comes into a lab, they measure aggression in some way, they play GTA for 15 minutes, and they measure aggression in the same way, and they see an increase from before they play the game to after they play the game. Now, without even talking about the problems with some of these measures, some of them are as simple as fill in this word completion task. And if you see K I blank blank and put kill instead of kiss, that's an increase in aggression. I mean, some of them really are kind of that simplistic, but that regardless, that's not saying the same as someone will commit a violent crime. You can't bring someone into a lab and see small increases in aggression and say they will then commit crimes. Factors like gender, previous exposure to violence, 
age, trait aggression, mental health, all of these are far more influential in determining if you'll be violent in any real world context than any media influence. We had the same issue with violent movies, right? And violent uh, rock and roll, right? Elvis mm -hmm. is going to make everyone go crazy and be over-sexualized. I mean, it's, it's all kind of the same <laughs> cycle of things. And if, you know, 40% of the population plays video games, granted, not all of them play violent games, but not nearly that percentage of people um, commit violent crime. I think really what I took away from it is it's just like watching a movie or a show that might have something that's really tragic or really happy. It stimulates an emotional response. Mm -hmm. So like say, I won't spoil it for those who haven't seen it, but the movie Logan, I had an emotional response to that at the end, and it was a short-term thing. Just right. like with playing video games, it, it causes a a short term emotional response to whatever type of mood it is that you are around at that time. Right. I think that the concern is greater for video games because people always say they're interactive and you're acting out the violence actively instead of passively watching. You control what happens. That's all. Yeah, that's always kind of the argument. Um but, you know, actually, there's some new research coming out from um, the Oxford Internet Institute that says that finding these increases in aggression is actually related to the frustration you're experiencing in the game versus that violent content, which I can attest to because I have broken many mice in frustration <laughs> to video games. <laughs> many a controller has been oh, broken many. over over the years, not just, you know, with with us, but with gamers in general. <laughs> That would be interesting to find out how many thousands or millions of dollars has been spent on broken controllers. Being angry at the game, I oh, know. Uh, I should never play first-person shooters. I'm just not accurate enough. <laughs> uh, those games can they they can cause some dissension. That's for, for sure, sure, and some frustration. Yes. Something that was a little bit later on in the book that I, I wanted to ask you about um, the positive learning. Mm -hmm. of video games, I think is something that is vastly overlooked yes. with video games because we talked earlier about the, the social interaction, but I think it can also help with, you know, problem solving. If you're playing a game like, like a Zelda game where you have mm -hmm. to go through dungeons and you have to solve various puzzles, it, I think that helps to increase your, your creative thinking and your problem solving, which I, mm -hmm. you touched on in the book. Yeah, um, video games have been linked to improvements in a wide range of cognitive skills. Like you said, problem solving, multitasking. If you think about, you know, the World of Warcraft, how many things that you have to do at once. You have to organize groups. You have to craft things. You have to, you know, travel. You have to think about what you're doing in combat. You have to do a lot of things at once. Um, video spatial skills, leadership skills, you know, all the online games where you lead groups. Um, all of these things have been found in the research to be improved through playing games. And I think what's really interesting is that a lot of this learning is unintentional. We're not playing Zelda to improve our problem-solving skills. It just happens because we're solving problems while we play Zelda. Absolutely. Another thing, and then this is a, a, a recent trend that happened, the huge success of Pokemon Go. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Quite quite a few people played that game, and I think the thing that was kind of mind blowing about that to me, and it's it's something that I didn't think about at the time when the game came out, but 
that game kind of indirectly encouraged social interaction because you had to go out. You couldn't just sit at your in your apartment and catch Pokemon. Right. You had to actually go out and find them. You had to walk to hatch your eggs. You had to go to different places. How was your reaction to the the success of that and kind of the things that it indirectly caused? I mean, it it, it was. I think the success of Pokemon Go surprised everyone. <laughs> um, I think the the physical benefits were really surprising. You know, there were a lot of memes going around about before Pokemon Go, I'm overweight, and after Pokemon Go, I'm like. 75 pounds lighter because now I'm walking everywhere. Um, it was really interesting, too, that Pokemon Go became something that children were playing with their parents, which I thought was so wonderful. I was seeing all over Facebook my friends, oh, my child who sits in his room and plays video games all day is now asking me to walk around the neighborhood with him and catch Pokemon. And it became something that they could do together. It became like a nightly ritual. And like you said, it encouraged social interaction, not just with the friends, but with their family as well. Something that was the thing that was mind blowing to me the most is here in in Pensacola we have this uh, this long road downtown called Palafox Street, and it ends next to the bay. It, mm-hmm. it ends basically like a giant pier, and it has a little roundabout, and it's right next to the bay. And they had put uh, several um, spawn points there. Or they had a gym there, and they had um, you know Pokemon centers where you could put lures and attract various Pokemon. You could go there really on any night, and the place would be flooded with people. <laughs> and not just people walking around and catching Pokemon. There would be groups saying, you know, hey, did you catch this Magikarp? Or, hey, did you catch this um, you know, Charmander or whatever it might be? I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> it's like the new arcade, but out in, in the wild, you know? I mean, gamers love to talk to other gamers. I mean, we all love the same thing, and that is really great. We don't have to we don't have to play our games in isolation. Absolutely. No, it was... I, I know the craze has kind of died down a little bit, but yeah. I, I know several people who still play it. I haven't been out to that area in, in quite a while, but I'm sure there are still people out there that... They're still out there catching their Pokemon. Oh, I'm sure there are. I, I don't think it's died down completely. Yeah, for sure. And they, I think they just added the Gen 2 Pokemon, or at least some of them. So that will probably um, that will probably get some people back into it. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you uh, about the book, and I, I think this was really cool, is at the end of every chapter, you put advice to parents, yes. which I thought was super, super important. Because kind of going back to that whole digestible thing, you aren't just necessarily summarizing the chapter, but you're even saying, hey, to, to parents, you know, try and do this with your kids. Yeah, I mean, I really wanted to to approach the book from the perspective of, like, no common shared information about video games. Because when I was talking to parents, you have a wide range. Some people who played video games like me their whole life, and other parents are just like, I don't know what they are. I think they're weird. I'm scared of them. Um, So I wanted to make sure the book would not just provide information, but, as you mentioned, also advice, tangible advice that they could take and integrate into their daily lives so they could feel empowered. You know, video games are supposed to be fun. They're supposed to be things we do together. We could definitely do them together as a family or with our friends, and um, they don't need to be so scary. So I was hoping that parents could, yeah, take that information, 
be able to make more informed media choices and feel confident in making these choices and understanding what it is that their kids are doing and how it might be, how it might be affecting them and how they might be able to get involved. Because I know I say in there at least once, maybe you should think about (laughs) playing games with your kids or at least sitting in the room when they're playing and just see what they're doing. Absolutely. And I I think something that at least something that I think about when I read these stories about, oh, do do video games cause kids to become more violent? I also think, you know, the parents should be more involved with, you know, if it, especially if it's a teenager who can't buy a mature rated game, mm-hmm. they should look into it and say, oh, maybe this, maybe you're not quite old enough to play this yet. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember so clearly getting the new offspring album when i was 12 and my parents opening the booklet and reading all the lyrics and not giving it to me (laughs) until they read all the lyrics and it's like the same idea if you want to know what your kids are playing or first look at the age ratings of course they're there they're created by experts they're there for a reason um and if you are concerned if sit in the room and watch them play you not only will see what they're playing and get like the first-hand experience of what it is they're experiencing. Um, But you also are now interacting with your child and spending some time with them, even if it's not super fun for you. They know you're there. They know that you're hanging out with them and maybe showing an interest in the things that they like. Last thing I wanted to ask you about the book, the chapter that you wrote about, and this is a subject that I know is uncomfortable to some. I know where you're going with this. (laughs) (laughs) But it's something that, you know, is very well documented, and that is sexism and misogyny. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that word correctly. Um, As you mentioned, you're a gamer. You grew up playing games when in a time where it was mostly men who played video games. And now several women I know, uh, I don't remember the exact percentage, but a lot of women play video games, and they can be subject to harassment. Um, yeah. I thought I thought it was great that you you touched on that, and I thought you know having parents maybe or even the gamers report this if it happens, like say to a, a game admin, and yeah. not just you know sit back and watch it happen. Yes, um, this chapter was really important for me to include, and if you read the book, you'll see it's not quite as long as the other chapters, and that's because it is so new and there's not as much research. In it, But when I spoke with parents about what they were concerned about, this was a tough one. It was violence, addiction, and my daughter plays video games. What do I need to know? Um, especially with like Gamergate and the doxing that's been happening. You know, parents want to know, is it safe for my 12, 13, 14 year old to play online? Now, women do make up almost half. I mean, really almost half of the gaming population now. But yet, they're still definitely disproportionately um harassed, sexually harassed when they're playing online. And in the chapter, I put some resources to websites like um, notinthekitchenanymore.com, where where you can see examples of the absolutely mind-blowingly horrible things (laughs) that are said to women uh, who play video games. And it is important. And the advice I put in there is talk to your daughters and your sons. Your sons need to know this is happening, too. They should equally be reporting if they witness this and they see this. And the idea is that hopefully if enough people report it, it may at least die down and not be quite as rampant. The problem is online, people have an increased sense of self-confidence and anonymity, even though you are never completely anonymous online and feel that it's acceptable or more acceptable to say these kinds of horrible, horrible things to people. Um, But we need to 
let them know it is not okay. And if you report it to an admin, if someone is reported enough, there will be consequences for their actions. So don't stand idly by, just like you wouldn't in, in a face-to-face interaction, I would hope, if, if you see someone harassing someone else. Those who harass people online, I like to say they have keyboard courage. Because, right. Because they think that if you don't see their face, that they're untouchable. You're only visually anonymous. You're never truly anonymous. They can, yeah. No, it's it's way easier to to find someone than people might think. But no, I yeah. I, I thought the way that you expressed that was great. Even with the, I guess, what's the right word to say? I guess desexualization of some female characters, like the the Tomb Raider franchise. Lara yeah. Croft looks way different now than she did yes. when the game first came out, which right. I think is great. And there, there are some you know great female uh, lead video game characters. The most famous being uh, Samus from the Metroid franchise. You know, you play yeah. as this this awesome bounty hunter, and then at the end, if you beat it, you know, in a certain amount of time or whatever the objective was. She takes her helmet off, and you're like, holy crap, she's a woman. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then there's The Last of Us, which I haven't played, but heard it was a female, a strong female protagonist in that game as well. Um, so things are changing, and things are shifting in terms of the content that's being created. I mean, a lot of the concern was, oh, we play, oh, what's that volleyball game? Oh. Uh, Dead or Alive? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, See, all I have to say is what's the volleyball game, and you know exactly, because that one is so ridiculous. But um, people are concerned, oh, they see these images, and that's what's influencing people, and that's what's causing them to perpetuate kind of these stereotypes against women. So the idea being, well, let's expose people to more strong female protagonists that aren't overly sexualized, and maybe that might have some sort of influence. Yeah, I'm hoping that we'll see more... You know, less sexualized, more strong female yeah. protagonists of video games. I mean, we're seeing it in movies now, especially with Star Wars. You know, the yeah. last two Star Wars movies, the lead heroes were female. Yeah. And they and weren't overly sexualized. sexualized. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you have any other uh, books that you're uh, currently developing? I do not. Um... I do not. <laughs> the Parents Guide just came out late last year. I'm currently looking into other projects at the moment, but I think that this book will be important to update as more research goes on. Every day I'm seeing more and more research about video game effects, especially in relation to um, addiction. Video game addiction is a very hot field right now, and the effect of video games on well-being in terms of the positive effects it may be having on people who are depressed and socially anxious. And that sort of thing. So for now, I'm just going to keep an eye on, on new changing developments and um, update accordingly. Absolutely. All-time favorite video game? Oh, Final Fantasy VI. That's an easy question. Final Fantasy VI. I know. That's controversial because, you know, in my house, it's a debate. Everyone says seven, seven is the best, but six was definitely the best. You might hang up on me for saying this, but I've never played a Final Fantasy game before. Oh, no! Well, now you're gonna have to start with one. It's gonna take a while, Derek. Yeah, it's. it's I might be. I might be busy for a while. Yeah, doing those. No, I just. I never. I, I was so focused on Zelda, Mario, and you know the like the the other Nintendo franchises that I never never got on the Final Fantasy bandwagon. They're they're a time commitment. So I understand. Uh, do you have any uh, website or social media info you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you? 
Yeah. Um, if you want to know more about my research, I do have a website. It's www.rkowert.com. So rkowert.com. Um, and you can find links there to my Twitter, um, which is um, updated pretty often. Um, if you like to follow gaming news and that sort of thing, <laughs> that's basically all I tweet. And yeah, and my book is available from Amazon. Fantastic. Well, Rachel, thank you very much for taking the time to do the interview. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be able to talk about this, and I hope that it, it was interesting and people learned some new things about the science of video games. My thanks again to Dr. Rachel Coart for having that amazing conversation, one of the most enlightening and informative conversations that I've had on this podcast. I think anyone who is a gamer or is a parent who has kids who are into video games should definitely check out Dr. Coart's book, A Parent's Guide to Video Games, now available on Amazon. And don't forget to follow her on social media. All those links will be in the episode description. Next week, we'll be going from video games to artwork. We'll be talking with legendary cartoonist Guy Gilchrist, who is one of the original artists behind the Muppets, Ninja Turtles, Muppet Babies, and so many more iconic pieces of art. Um, if you grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, chances are you saw his artwork when you were a kid. So uh, definitely looking forward to chatting with him. Met him briefly at Pensacon a few weeks ago. Uh, you'll definitely want to come back and check out that fun episode. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can also follow me on social media. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. The show page is at Podcast. My personal page is at Derek underscore Diamond. And I'm on Instagram. Just search for Podcast on Instagram. Every Monday, I post a 60-second preview of that week's upcoming episode and other random pictures as well. Instagram's a lot of fun. And I believe that does it. So enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Tuesday. Are you looking for new original music? If so, you should check out my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers. The Unicorn Wranglers are very important to this podcast. They're a local indie rock band based right here in Pensacola, Florida, and they supply the theme music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode. And the song you heard today is D-Rock from their upcoming album, Thunder Snow, which will be out very, very soon. But you can check out some of their past music on Bandcamp. Just go over to Bandcamp.com and search for the Unicorn Wranglers. And you can find Murder Mystery Night, 95 Flannel, and their EP Atomics for free. That's my favorite four-letter word, free. You can also follow them on social media. They're on Twitter and Instagram at Wranglers. Search for the Unicorn Wranglers on Facebook. And finally, be sure to check out their website, unicornwranglers.com.